Welcome to Becoming Your Best with Jenny Lytle RN. I believe that we are all made with unique gifts, talents, and desires, and that comparing ourselves to others only leads to frustration and wasted time. Join me on a journey to becoming the best you you can be. Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Your Best with Jenny Lytle RN podcast. And today I have got a guest that I know is going to be um, very inspiring for you as she was for me. Uh, Katie Wrigley has a lot of experience with chronic pain and has developed a uh, customized approach to dealing with that. And so I am going to uh, let Katie introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her. Hey, Katie, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So tell me, um, tell me a little about how you got started in this kind of your, your pain journey, because I believe that all of this was born from your own experiences, correct? It was, yes. I like to tell people I came into this organically through my own life experience. And in my case, organic isn't this lovely, healthy path, <laughs> which is typically the case for anybody who's been in, in chronic pain. Uh, so the, the short story of how I wound up in pain was that I was really bad at landing skydives. I was a skydiver for a while. I had 151 jumps and I really just, I've got depth perception issues and that's not a good match. The longer story, if it was that simple, I would have never had chronic pain. I would have healed my injuries immediately. The longer story is skydiving was one of the things that I used to avoid a trauma that had happened to me as a young child. When I, I believe it was from ages three to seven, I'm still a little hazy on that. Um, I was abused by a babysitter's older brother and I spent all of my life trying to run from that until I couldn't run anymore. And I was rendered disabled in my early forties. So it, I, I tried everything I could think of, uh, drugs, promiscuity, binge drinking, fancy cars, adrenaline inducing activities, such as skydiving. Not that all skydivers are reckless. That is not at all true, but my own intent for doing it wasn't coming from the healthiest place. I had a lot of fun, but it it was stemming from a place that that wasn't healthy. And so I had had a knee replacement in 2018. The surgery was picture perfect, but my environment was awful. I was in a house full of people who didn't really care about me. I had already gone through a messy divorce and my back was already messed up and I didn't really realize how badly because it had been misdiagnosed. And all of that culminated in uh, me developing a condition called CRPS or complex regional pain syndrome, which means you are hypersensitive to pain in that limb. And then that spread through my whole body with central sensitization and I was disabled. And so I'm looking at, okay, this can be my life for the rest of my life. And God, that's terrifying. I'm only 42 or I can try something different because traditional medicine just doesn't seem to be working for me. And so I employed a wellness coach and she started to talk about crazy things like forgiveness and loving my leg. And I thought she was completely crazy, but I was looking at a few surgeries and figured, okay, let's try what the crazy lady is saying. And at that point, I hadn't been able to fully extend my leg from the knee replacement and within weeks of trying her meditation to start to forgive the people who had hurt me and taken from me, 
and starting to love my leg instead of cursing it for all the pain and all the discomfort it was causing. And the next thing I knew, I was walking without a limp for the first time in a year and a half. And I went, okay, she's not crazy. And maybe I should start listening to her. And then from there, it's cultivated into this whole system that I created, which includes a system called cognitive movement. Wow. So that is, um, that is quite a journey you've been on. Um, and and just the, and, and I think that's so, that's so interesting that, you know, that you realizing that so many of these things that, um, you know, have kind of built up and have been related to this past trauma that you've had and, and just, um, the way that that's played out in, in your life and in your pain. And, and is that something that you find now, as you work with people is, um, does pain play? I mean, does trauma pay play a, um, a role in, in a lot of pain? It, I, I do see a lot of trauma with people with chronic pain. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I, and I, I always say this really carefully, but I think life itself is, is, pretty traumatic. It's either little T trauma, meaning it's not something that's going to wake you up in the middle of the night with night terrors, like witnessing death or being in war or suffering direct abuse. Any of those, those are what we call big T trauma. Those are the ones that can induce PTSD, but even being in chronic pain becomes traumatic. But I've, I've absolutely seen a link with most of the people that I work with have had a big T trauma, at least one in their life and several have had multiple. So yes, that's, that's certainly, there's certainly a correlation there. Very interesting. So, so tell me, tell me more about, um, Cogno movement, because I know that was something, you know, we've talked a bit about now that I was unfamiliar with, and I'm sure that, um, you know, that I'm sure that the audience would love to hear more about that too. Yeah. I, I get a, a lot of, curiosity around it. So it uses it for, there's not a video on this one, or there could be clips, but it uses a psychedelic looking soccer ball for lack of a better description. It has complex geometric shapes on it, but it's about the size of a soccer ball. So in short, the premise of cognitive movement is that our body is expressing for us the emotion that our mind cannot. And as such, this becomes a system that allows us to change our mind through focusing on our body. And so in a cognitive movement session, we focus on whatever we're feeling. It can be an emotion. It can be a physical sensation like back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, hip pain, foot pain, fatigue, any, anything like that. It can even be a craving and you focus on it. 95 to 99% of your attention is on that feeling. And we start working the ball, which is a bunch of different modalities stacked on top of each other, backed by science. I have had people be like, well, that's too far out there for me. I'm like, it it may be far out there and there's scientific evidence that it works. So yes, it is pretty out there, but it's, it's interesting. So when I talk to people who are really skilled in neurology and understand a lot about how the brain works, they immediately are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, But what it does is it allows us to get in the middle of either the thought emotion loop. You know, if we were thinking about having a panic attack or anxiety, It's we start to feel the emotion and then our brain finds a thought, a reason for us to be anxious. And then we start spinning on that. This breaks apart that thought emotion loop. And when we think about pain, pain is created from pain receptors at whatever the point is, travels through peripheral nerves to the spinal cord up to the brain. 
cognitive movement can get in the middle of that loop and allow us to shift that perspective. So for me personally, I had gone a really long way utilizing my wellness coach, making a lot of changes in my life. And that's really where I came up the premise of the methodology I use was through my own experience and what made sense to me. But I still hadn't been able to completely alleviate the nerve pain I'd had in my in my back and my my legs. So just so the audience knows, I have six bulging discs in my lumbar spine and sacrum. They bulge in different directions. My facet joint on my L5 is gone. Uh, for those not versed in spinal anatomy, first of all, congratulations. Means your back isn't hurting that bad if you don't know what I'm talking about. So yay. Um, those are the little spiny things that feed the peripheral nerves out from your spinal cord to the rest of your body. And what, if it's gone, that means there's a whole lot of friction on those peripheral nerves. So it was actually creating weakness, especially in my left leg. And on a bad nerve day, I felt like I was throwing my leg in front of me to walk and did a cognitive movement event, did one session with Bill McKenna, the founder, and I had immediate relief from my back and didn't actually know what to do with myself because pain had become part of my identity. And so I actually had a panic attack, got that all under control, back still felt better, but it hadn't fully stuck. I went and did a three-day event after that with Cogna Movement and that permanently changed my pain. And I had immediate buy-in. I got certified as fast as I could possibly get certified myself. And I dove into it because personally it gave me my life back. And professionally, it was another key that I could add in to be different than what other people were doing out there with pain management. Wow. So you, so you went and you said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you said that you had one session Yeah. and it changed your pain dramatically. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so what did your pain look like? Like, like pain level, you know, kind of either what, how did it impact you or, you know, kind of, kind of give us a little bit of a, um, you know, a pain level before and after that. Yeah. So at, at the time, so when I was disabled, my average pain was around a seven or eight and eight, I was barely functional. By the time I got introduced to cognitive movement, I would have put it at a four or a five. And, you know, if you talk to pain specialists, the three on the pain scale is really the highest anyone wants you to get. That's a level of pain that we consider functional. It's really arbitrary. The number is really like how much pain can you be in and still function normally? Mm -hmm. Mine was higher than that. So it looked like it would take me two days to clean my house instead of being able to do it in two hours, which is what I can normally do. I have a small house. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really want to socialize with people much. I was very cautious about where I went. I took tons of props with me. Even if I went over to my parents' house for a few hours, I was so uncomfortable that I would bring over my moon pod, which is an anti-gravity beanbag chair. And I would bring over a little cushion to sit on at the kitchen table. And I was so uncomfortable without all of those things. And I still have them. I just don't use them very much anymore because I don't really have pain anymore. And when it does start to act up at this point, I'm so much in tune with my body. I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? Where, where do I have something to address? And I can resolve it in a matter of minutes, days, hours, depending on whatever it is that's starting to creep back into my subconscious. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not, um, it's not necessarily an instant fix, but you're also giving, 
um, you know, you have the tools and you are giving the, um, the people you work with the tools to be able to address pain as it comes up again, because I mean, we all have pain from time to time. Um, and especially, um, you know, I would think somebody who has suffered from chronic pain and correct me if I'm wrong again on this, because I'm just making an assumption that, you know, if it's somebody that has had chronic pain, might it be easier for them to re-experience pain because there probably was some sort of physical injury um to begin with okay so but you're giving them tools to be able to you know not only to work on this but then you know as as other issues other pains come up in the future to know how to better address those yes so it it, so there's there's a lot that happens with with chronic pain it's not it's not simple. It's very complex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So part of it is the brain never unlearns a pain level. So if you have had a big pain spike, even if you don't really consciously remember it, your subconscious does. What that means is when pain spikes again, your brain may push it all the way back up to that spike, even though it wasn't that bad. And what tends to happen in that spike is your mind goes crazy with it. Fear and mm-hmm. pain love to play together. And so what that looks like is, oh, did I do permanent damage? Oh no, this is as good as it's going to get. How long is this pain flare going to last? This is my life now. And it it just starts to get into this major downward spiral of panic. And then that makes the pain worse. So with, with cognitive movement, and that's just looking at a pain spike with cognitive movement, you will get relief in the session, but it takes time to teach your brain that the pain isn't the same anymore. It takes time to be able to shift that perception. And there's a few reasons. One is that the pain is there to protect you. It may feel like punishment, but your body is not actually trying to punish you. It has a message for you and it's an art and it's a practice to learn how to tune into your body to understand the message. And then it's another practice to listen to the message because sometimes your body's telling you something you don't want to do. And that happens to me a lot. Like I'll tune in sometimes like, what do we need today? And I'm all ready to go. My body's like, you need rest. I'm like, ah, <laughs> this is hard. But I listen because I've learned what happens if I don't. Um, it also, your subconscious mind needs time to A, adjust and B, trust that that, that signal of pain isn't needed anymore. Um, pain, like I mentioned, it had become part of my identity. And if you think about it and really like, think about how you talk about your own pain, we'll talk about my anxiety, my depression, my knee pain, my back pain, we make it ours and it's understandable, but it's also dangerous because then that starts to become part of us. So then who are we if we don't hurt anymore? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'll bring people back to like, what, what did you give up? because of your pain, what do you want to get back to, you know, and what, what is the thing that you want most in your life that working together with me, that's going to be your indicator that we are a success. And it takes time again for those patterns to unravel. And it depends what's in there too. Um, the, the way that I look at pain, I divide life into four areas, verbal, emotional, mental, physical. They're not in a silo. They're all connected. But all of that makes a difference. Like the people in your life, are they enabling you or are they empowering you? One of the things that we hear from people when we hurt is we tend to hear a lot of compassion or we tend to hear a lot of sympathy. Like, oh, I couldn't do that. I don't know how you do it. 
And we start to internalize that. And especially as we're coming out of this pandemic and figuring out what our comfort level is to be around people again, we've never been as disconnected as we are right now. And that's a human need we're missing. And we're seeing this abundance of chronic conditions coming out of nowhere. That's not an accident. It's, I think a big piece of that is feeling disconnected and pain is a way that we wind up getting more attention for ourselves. It's not desirable to be clear. These are not conscious patterns. You aren't Mm -hmm. sitting there going, I'm really lonely. I'm going to go ahead and create back pain for myself because so-and-so is going to then want to be around me. No one is doing that at all. No one is. It tends to be something we find as a side effect. We actually like that side effect and liking that side effect keeps us in it, but none of it is conscious. None of it is in the awareness, which is why I like to divide into the four areas, start to bring awareness and seeing what's missing in your life so you can source it for yourself or change it. You know, the news is incredibly triggering. Like every time I go over to my parents' house, they're watching Fox News. I see one little headline on there, my anxiety spikes and I turn away. Like literally cannot do Fox News at all. And my mom, like I look at it, I'm like, I know why you're angry, mom, just stop the Fox News for a minute. Mm -hmm. But when you're in pain and then you're adding in those emotions, those triggering emotions like anger or grief or stress, there's a direct correlation there. And those are going to make your pain worse. And so it takes time to learn how to navigate those and to learn how much your body can do and be ready to adapt as your body gets stronger, the signals from your body are going to change. So there's, you are going to get relief right out of the gate. You're starting going to get hope pretty quickly. And it's still a process to get to the point that I call becoming unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think those are great, um, you know, great things that you're, you're bringing up the, the fact that yes, people don't want to, you know, they don't want that to be part of their identity, but pain is so all consuming when you're, you know, in that moment that, that it does become very much that way. And I've seen that, you know, in, um, you know, with some people in, in my own life and also quite a bit in my, um, in my hospice career, you know, as, as, you know, it's somewhat easy to tell the people who have, you know, pain related to their, um, you know, their diagnosis, you know, maybe if it's something where, you know, they're having, um, you know, cancer or something like that. And it's been maybe a little more short-term versus somebody who has had chronic pain, you know, and if it's something they've been dealing with for years, then it is, um, it is much more personalized. Like you were talking about, you know, with my pain and my, um, you know, and then there's, I feel like it's just, it's even harder now for people to, um, to have pain because there's so much, um, you know, there's so much stigma around pain. There's so much, um, it just, it, it complicates it even more for people who are having genuine pain. Um, that's, uh, and, and the fact that it is, that it's not just physical and that anxiety, you know, increases that. And that's, you know, that's something else that I've seen a lot is, you know, yes, you're trying to control pain, but you're also trying to control anxiety because you're getting that vicious cycle going, you know, when you're having a lot of pain, then that's going to increase your anxiety. And when you're, you know, more anxious and more tense, then that's going to increase your pain. And and so being able to really come at that um, holistically and, and figure out, you know, okay, how do we, how do we kind of get both of these things under control and, and then find new ways to, you know, new ways to cope as well. So you, you talked about the, um, 
you know, some of the things that I've, that I've read of yours about the three phases of a pain journey. And so what, what does that mean? So, and for people who are in a sudden accident and pain begins at that point, this, this doesn't really apply just to be clear, but even in those cases, I have still found there's, there's always something that I look back and like, Oh, I could have done that differently. But for, for most of us, for people like me who have gone into this overactivity to, to try to avoid it, there's, there seems to be three distinctive pieces. So one is preventative. This is before any diagnosis. This is before any chronic, any, any sort of condition or issue is plaguing you. This is when we know that we could do something different. Maybe we're not exercising. Maybe we're eating junk food all the time. Maybe we're not sleeping enough. Maybe we don't have any self-care. Maybe we're doing all of those things. That was certainly me. Maybe we're numbing with recreational drugs to avoid pain or whatever it is that we may be doing. That's all in the preventative stage. And that's where we have the most power to shift what we're doing and avoid pain completely. That's also the place we're least likely to do it because we tend to think we're going to have time to change what we're doing. And the only way that we find out that we're wrong is when we find out that we're wrong. And so trying to get into a wellness routine from the start, that's always going to be the best place to do it. But I also know there's not a whole lot of buy-in. We're all busy. We're, we're going, going, going in life and, and change. We can absolutely impact change and have change and experience change without some sort of emotional or severe event. But usually it, we, we don't change until the pain of staying the same is more than change. That's just the way we're wired. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the middle of the pain journey. When we were, now we're out of preventative, now we're during this is where we get the crap diagnoses. This is where we can also feel gaslighted a lot for some reason doctors have, we, we have this opiate epidemic and we also have a whole lot of doubt that people are in pain. It just, it doesn't make sense. It's like, and then once you got the buy-in for pain, then you're trying to avoid having people shove opiates down your throat, but you have to work for years to get them to even believe you in the first place. Mm -hmm. Client after client and myself too, we've, we've all experienced that. That's where you get the diagnosis. That's where emotions can really be up and down. Like when I was, I was at a point where I started to get afraid to go to the doctor because every time I went, I got worse news. I had CRPS. I had centralized sensitization, which is such a mouthful. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia twice. I was told I was going to need surgery three times. I haven't had any of those surgeries. I was told by multiple doctors I was going to need surgery. So I was hearing the same message over and over again. I did not want to hear it. This is also where we start to go into our power and say, you know what? I don't like what I'm hearing. I'm going to try something else. And we start to find the solution and the thing that works for us. Mm -hmm. And that's when we shift into maintenance. And this is where the goodness starts. This is where we learn what our physical limits are. This is what we learn impacts our pain. What happens when we experience joy? If when we get out of our body, oh my gosh, your pain went away. What happens when your stress gets high, it comes back. And then you start to learn how to throw in these tools to be able to navigate your pain and keep those pain spikes from coming in. Let's say, you know, you have a big project coming at work. You know that you're going to be stressed about it. You're going to want to up your self-care to be able to counter that stress so that you aren't going into a pain spike. If travel makes you sore, you're going to want to get little air pillows or something that's going to help you be more comfortable as you travel. 
those are the things that you find in the maintenance stage. And so emotionally, what that also looks like is, especially in the, the during stage, when we're actually in the middle of it, the corrective phase, um, a lot of times people feel really hopeless. So the first stage is to get people from feeling hopeless to hopeful. And then from hopeful, then they go to confident. And then when we go from confident, then we go to unstoppable. Because once you've learned that you can manage your pain, you're going to do everything in your power to keep doing it. I just, I, I love, you know, I love watching you, um, which I know um, and the listeners aren't going to be able to watch you, but, and, and you can hear that in your voice for sure. Just that, you know, the excitement that you have with, with what you're doing, because you know, what a difference it's made in your life. And, um, and, and I love that unstoppable. Um, that's just such a, um, uh, just such a positive, empowering word, especially for, you know, for a lot of people who haven't, you know, haven't felt that sense of power or hope for, for quite some time. Yeah. And I, I get that. I've been there. If, if you had, if I had been hearing me in 2018, I would have been like, okay, what is this chick about? And would have totally <laughs> doubted and keep your doubt because cognitive movement works with or without doubt. And I sat in my first session with Bill being like, yeah, what is, can this guy actually do? And I didn't even have the cognitive movement ball yet. And he got rid of my back pain and I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention, right. but that's normal. You know, and I, and even if it is, this is a faster way to do it. It can be a lot of fun because you do all sorts of wacky stuff with the ball. And a lot of times as you hear yourself say something, you start laughing because you're like, oh my gosh, like, why was I even doing that? And the comedy just winds up getting built into it, which makes it a lot of fun. It is still a process and it is work for the client to do on their side. And I see that the more of a buy-in the client has, the faster they're going to impact their pain. And if they have a harder time or they've got some resistance in there, then we work through that. Okay, what is this resistance? What is this around? Like I've had a client say, I'm not touching my emotions. Okay. We're not touching your emotions. Mm-hmm. And they went to the ER with a panic attack six months later. And they're like, okay, maybe we'll touch our emotions now. Like, okay, yeah, let's do that. But it's up to you, the pace that you go. And it's up to me. I'm going to challenge anybody that I'm working with, but it is ultimately up to you. I just want to make you aware of what's going on. And then once you're aware, you're empowered to do with it, what you want to do with it. You can mm-hmm. keep your pain. If you want to keep your pain, keep your pain. If you want to get your life back, if you want to go do those things and go back to being the person you were before pain, then come join me. I'll help you get there. Well, that is, um, I, thankfully I am not somebody who, uh, suffers from chronic pain. You know, I've had some, I've had some issues here and there and, you know, some minor discomforts, but, um, but, you know, it's not something that really impacts my life on a, on a day-to-day basis. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know, my mom, um, you know, that was when we first talked, I thought, gosh, this would have been so amazing for her. Um, and I, I, I love too, that you talked about, you know, the, the first phase there where you, um, prevention, I believe is what you, yes. Okay. So, you know, that ideally is where, is where I want to, you know, to work with women and, and really help them to, to focus on that so that, you know, maybe they won't have to go down that whole path, you know, but I do, I think that it's, it's so, it's so challenging for us. You know, we were taught, um, especially as women, to, you know, to take care of everybody else. Yes. <laughs> and, um, 
yes, maybe we're on the back burner, but at the same time, then, um, you know, a lot of times things on the back burner get forgotten and, you know, or we think that we'll get around to it at some point and, yeah. you know, and then that can, of course, escalate. So when you are working with your clients, how does that look? Cause I know you've mentioned the ball and things like that. So, um, you work with clients virtually. I do. Yes. And virtually or in person. So I'm okay. in Tops of Maine. So I have two locations I work out of. If anybody in Maine is hearing this, I'm mm-hmm. Richmond, Maine. And then I work out of Cumberland Foreside on Fridays. Or I have a space to use in Cumberland Foreside on Fridays since it's Friday today and I'm not there. <laughs> uh, the, the ball, it works without the ball, but as the complete system, it's more effective to have the ball because the way that the ball is designed is going to stimulate both hemispheres of the brain. So you get extra cognitive, um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Enhancement that you don't get without the ball. So it just makes it more effective. It makes it stickier. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I have, so I have actually, I have a workshop coming up. It's a two-hour workshop on July 27th. It's virtual. No one needs the ball for that one. And you're going to be hearing a little bit about what I talked about today. And we're actually going to be doing a full cognitive movement session in that workshop. And so the point of this workshop is to give people a sampling and see how it works for them. Because I have a six-week program that kicks off on August 10th, two weeks after the workshop. That's going to be every week. We're going to be walking through the four areas of impact, and we're going to be doing cognitive movement and deleting the pieces that you find are impacting your pain the heaviest or the most and be able to change it. And so in those six weeks, I expect that people are going to have a change in pain in the workshop and it may be permanent. I just don't want to set that as an expectation because what I've seen is it, we may get it in one, but there's a little bit of a lather, rinse, repeat until we get that process and figure out what exactly that body needs on a regular basis in order to keep pain levels low or gone. In that six weeks, I think people are going to come out of it confident or hopefully even unstoppable, knowing that they have the tools now and they can take them, mix and match them as they need to and be able to manage their pain for good for life. So you said that, so the workshop that's coming up, so that's a two hour workshop, Yep, two hour workshop. And you said that, that some people are going to very likely have their pain impacted during that, just that two hour workshop. Yeah. Yeah. I did a, a free masterclass a couple of weeks ago with just one, I call them Jedi mind tricks. Cause it's just so cool <laughs> to like, watch it happen. But we did a five minute demo, just mm-hmm. five minutes. And someone reported their pain went from a seven to a three and a couple other people reached out and they're like, okay, my back doesn't hurt the same way it did before I started listening to you guys. I'm going to keep listening. And it was, it wasn't even full cognitive movement. It was just utilizing some of the principles within it. And we impacted pain. So I think there's a good chain. Now it doesn't work for everybody. It tends to be if someone can't focus then it's, they may not have a change, but as long as you focus and you're able to stay in the feeling, and that's my job running the the class is to Mm -hmm. keep connected to that feeling in your body. You, I would expect absolutely the expected outcome is you are going to feel a difference that night in the class. And you're going to be able to see whether that program is a good fit for you or not. Well, that's amazing. Okay. So how, um, how does someone go about signing up for that class? So they can go to my website directly. It's katierigley.com. That's K-A-T-I-E-W-R-I-G-L-E-Y.com. 
and then it's slash upcoming events, but you'll see a little button if you go just to the homepage, it'll say upcoming events and they're right on the homepage too. Just click on that. You'll see the date for July 27th. You can sign up right there. It's only $97. I'm running it in conjunction with the Cogna Movement team, who's Bill McKenna, the founder, and Liz Larson, the co-creator. Uh, so we're running it together as a team. So it'll pop you over to the Cogna Movement site. That's by design. Um, and you can grab your ticket. Very cool. Now, if someone is not able to maybe join that night, but they want to look into the six weeks um, program, do they have to have that kind of prerequisite for that or they can do it separate? They can do it separate. So they can look at the master class. I'm not sure what the plan is for the recording. I think they are going to make it available probably for a fee. So I don't know how quickly that's going to be out. But it, it's not a prerequisite to come to the workshop. You can go directly into the program. That was a great question. That's $3.99 for six weeks. That's still really inexpensive. You're going to have six cognitive movement sessions. I'm actually going to be packaging meditations as well. These are designed to help your body relax and also help shift out of pain when you're having a spike. So I'm going to have a couple of those included as well. Uh, but you can go directly into the class. I do ask that people have a ball for the class and that you've done a little bit of cognitive movement ahead of time. Uh, so there is a video package that the cognitive movement team sells called basic training, and it has three different videos that will give you enough of an introduction to be able to keep up with the class. And we're just asking people to do that because we found that, you know, if, if someone's never done it before, then we're eating up a lot of class time to explain cognitive movement to them. Whereas if it's done ahead of time, then everybody can keep pace with the class. And they are offering a discount on that basic training package. If you sign up for my program too, they're offering $100 off. Okay. Well, and that's a, that's a great, a great idea and a great way to, to kind of utilize the time as, um, you know, as well as you can, because like you said, it's, um, that's something that would eat into the time and, you know, we've all got, we've all got busy lives. So, <laughs> right. and, that, and that's a way to really, you know, maximize the results that somebody's going to get. So yeah. very exciting. Um, so is there, is there anything else that, that you want to, um, specifically add that, that maybe we haven't talked about? Um, you know, you, you'd actually touched on something earlier, specifically around parents and not, not to dive back into a deep conversation, but that there's, there's a piece of pain wrapped in the identity, like we talked about. And I'm noticing with, with mothers, sometimes with the onset of marriage or becoming a mother pain starts to really sink in there. And I realize that it's just, it's wrapped into that identity. And being able to start to give someone permission, like you said, women are always told to take care of others and we forget to put ourselves into that equation and just starting to encourage people to spend time with themselves is making a massive, massive shift. So I think that would be where I'd want to end today is for anybody listening who feels like you don't have time to give yourself any self-care, find five minutes sometime in your week just for you, no one else, just for you, spend time with yourself, do whatever the hell you want for just five minutes, guilt-free, please. And Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love that. And you know, five minutes may not, may not seem like a lot, but that five minutes is a, is a great place to start. And even if you don't move beyond that, I mean, five minutes is 
it can be big, you know, it can be, it can be very impactful. So I do have, um, two questions for you that I want to, um, finish up with that I'm kind of asking everybody. So what, you know, my, my tagline is never stop becoming the best version of you. Mm -hmm. And so what does becoming the best version of you mean to you? Oh gosh, becoming the best version of me. It's finding that place where I'm good with who I am today and also keeping the awareness that I can improve and be better tomorrow. And so it's facing those pieces of resistance. It's facing and looking, okay, if I'm judging someone else, where am I doing that in my own life and continuing to just evolve and grow that way. And Katie, I I love that you said that because that's one thing that I really, you know, I really try to find that, that balance between, you know, I always want to, I always want to be learning and growing and improving myself, but I also want to be, you know, want to be happy where I am and not be so focused on the next thing, you know, that, you know, when this happens, then I'm going to be happy. No, you know, right now, I mean, my life is great, but I always want, you know, I always want more because, you know, why not? (laughs) Exactly. And, um, so, and what is your favorite self-care practice? Oh, my favorite self-care practice. Oh gosh, probably a nice hot bubble bath with CBD in there. It just relaxes your muscles so much. And I'm like, Oh, it's a little hot today to be having a bath. I haven't had one in a while because it's more, but that's, that's probably one of my favorite self-care routines. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And, um, I will have the links in the, in the show notes and Katie, I just really appreciate your time and, um, your expertise on this. I, you know, I feel like I'm fairly well-versed in, in pain, you know, from my, from my nursing experience, but this is a, you know, this is kind of a different subset of that. And, um, I have definitely learned a lot too, and I'm sure that you have got a lot to offer the, um, the listeners. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you for having me. This has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I have too. Have a great day. You too. Disclaimer. Although I am a registered nurse, the medical and health information contained in this podcast is provided for general information and educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional advice. Accordingly, before taking any actions based upon such information, I encourage you to consult with appropriate professionals. I do not provide any specific medical or health advice and the use of or reliance on any information contained in this podcast is solely at your own risk.